Awkward. I don't know. We're just I'm... awkwardly excited to see each other. Always. Yes. And forever. Oh God. Okay. Always and forever. There it is. <laughs> How can't, are can't you? Have an episode without singing. It's immediately a has to happen thing. I'm good. You sure? No. <laughs> but for for posterity's sake, I'm great. Same. Life is happening, and we're getting through it. <laughs> Life. Life is being a bitch right now life is gnarly yeah march for me you already know the deal march for me is kind of insane so i'm just trying to get through the next few weeks but yeah that's fair i'm excited i'm excited for this next episode hell yeah i already know who it's on and i, I actually know who it's on i know like, i know no yes. who it's on you're yes. not gonna surprise and, me and i'm not actually no, <laughs> no don't kidding <laughs> i will get up and walk out immediately <laughs> well speaking of what episode this is what podcast is this i have no idea I don't know. I think it's Difficult Damsels. It's, uh, yeah, it's it's Difficult Damsels. It's about badass, amazing, and problematic women from history. Sometimes problematic. It depends on who you ask. I mean, a lot of times, but I'm okay with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, we're, yeah. We're allowed to be nuanced here. Yeah, it's exactly. Okay. I'm Rachel. I'm Kat. Hi. <laughs> so, um, before we... by my cat, Walker. Hi. Before we dive into this episode, um, first off, I have a bone to pick with one of our... Whoa previous difficult damsels okay that's very aggressive i didn't know yeah we were, i didn't know we were gonna fight right off the bat i i'm <laughs> going to fight cleopatra oh no yes why so i've been playing um assassin's creed origins oh, yeah. which is an amazing game by the way um and you meet cleopatra and she's amazing and honestly i will say this of every fictional depiction i've seen of cleopatra assassin's creed nails it yeah like Way better than any movie or TV show I've ever seen. My bone to pick <laughs> is that Cleopatra betrays me. Oh no, she betrayed me, <laughs> and and part of me was Did like, you fuck with Mark Antony. No, it oh. was because of Caesar. Oh, okay, that's unfortunately fair. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't surprised because okay. it's Cleopatra. I'm so mad though, but I was very upset. <laughs> You're like, so, girl, I love you. <laughs> so her depiction in the game, like. Every every TV show or movie you see of Cleopatra, her whole personality is her sexuality. Yeah. But the game really shows how clever, intelligent, yeah. and shrewd she is and ruthless. See, Assassin's Creed knows what's up. And the sexuality <laughs> is there, but it's like one part of her personality, yeah. not the it's whole not thing. It's not the whole thing. Yes. It's just a little itty bitty portion. So very impressed, Assassin's mm -hmm. Creed. Once again, this is not an ad for Assassin's Creed, but Assassin's, Cre Assassin's Creed wants yes. to sponsor us. We will 100% take that sponsorship. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was, I was genuinely like impressed by um, a, how beautiful the game looked and the story is really good too. And just freaking Cleopatra, man, why'd you have to go and betray me? But it's Cleopatra. So. I love Assassin's Creed ga games. And like, I want to play them, but they're so aggressively open now like they are so like and it's, I, it's I a little a overwhelming story. like i don't have time to do that much like if i'm playing a video game it's got to be a game i can either get through in a couple of days or like i'm never gonna finish it like i started assassin's creed valhalla <laughs> that's it <laughs> <laughs> i i got tired of rowing around on a boat 
the thing I really liked about, I mean, both games really, but especially with um, Origins is it, it is very sandboxy, but you can kind of follow a sort of linear pathway. And there are these areas you don't necessarily, the main story doesn't go there. Yeah. But when you go there, you realize like, oh, there's a pyramid here and there's a tomb I get to raid. Yeah. So like you learn more about the mythology. So it's there if you want, but you don't have to go there. But I can see how you would get lost. My favorite that. Assassin's Creed game, which is apparently the one like everyone hates, is the one with the twins, Evie and Jacob Fry. Unity, I think it is. I don't know. I think it is. It's a very... I'm like going back. It is a very <laughs> linear game. Like there are, yeah. like you said, there are things where you can go off and do all these things and they're extra. But like if you just want to play the game, like yeah. you can play the game. Anyway, this is again not a podcast about Assassin's Creed. <laughs> it could be. No, it could be. It really it could. Um, That'd be fun so if we yeah. could play through just for funsies. We should. That would be. Oh fun. my god, Thor's tail that would be. If, if we ever get like a a Patreon, that could be a thing we do where we just oh, yeah. it's almost like Twitch streaming, but like watch us play. Yeah, Assassin's watch me Creed. scream at the screen. <laughs> scream fine. at the screen. Scream at the screen. <laughs> um, the other thing I wanted <clears> to bring up really quick before we delve into this episode is our last episode released on international women's day hell yeah isn't so, that international women's month like isn't I that a thing i think so yeah well in honor of that i really wanted to just highlight at the top of our podcast um another podcast run by two women we've mentioned it before yes but i actually had a chance to listen to them and hell it's yeah. spill the mead podcast um I drinking water. <laughs> <laughs> don't mind the water drinking it's in the fine. background. He's loud at everything he does. <laughs> now he's going to come over and get us all wet. No! Don't! He's going to lick your feet. No! Stop it, you gross child. Ew! You're a monster. So, so Spill the Mead podcast is really cool. It's run by two women. And um, I would say it's very unique in the sense that it's not just about women from history. I do see a lot of podcasts bringing up that gossip are like that. From history. It's like gossip. It's stories. It's old mythologies. They have some folklore episodes. Yeah. But the two episodes um, I recently listened to that I like just it, they were so good. They have vanished the princes in the tower. Oh, hell yeah. And it's so good. So kudos to them. Um they do again. They they really dive into it with their we we search their we search their research. I don't know what that means, but it sounds uh, fun. <laughs> but they're drinking mead when they do it, so they get a little tipsy yes. when they're like telling the story. It's it's really cool. It's really fun. I highly recommend go Hell check yeah. them out. They also um, have really fun content on their social media pages. They do. I think they're younger than us, so like, yes. kudos to you for knowing what's <laughs> up. Can you run our page too? <laughs> right. They have a lot of good stuff. I it's just a I think we could do it. It's just it's so hard to find the time. Yeah, exactly. And we're like, old ladies. So like we go to bed by like eight. Yeah, I don't even get out of bed really. Like I'm up, but like I'm still in bed in my head. Yeah, I really wanted to highlight them because they're another um woman run podcast oh, and yeah. it's it's great content. So check them out. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, back to us. Back to us. <laughs> so in continuing our quest to examine the so-called good and bad women of the Crusader era, we come to our next difficult damsel. Who was it, Kat? It is Alice. It is Alice. Alice. <laughs> Alice, the rebel princess of Antioch. Now, Alice is a complicated figure. She is the younger, more rebellious sister of Queen Melisande of Jerusalem. And if we pay attention to her story closely, we'll see a lot of parallels between her and Melisande. Can you imagine being Melisande's little sister and you're just like, what do I do? Like, <laughs> you've done it all. 
I mean, they all did that and they all She's made like, their oh, way God, in the world. Bell. So, yes. <laughs> Alice pulls the full middle child. She, she this does. is why I will probably yeah. love Alice. I'm like, you and me both. Girl. You, so, okay. There are no pictures of Alice from history. It's really <laughs> annoying. I picture you as Alice and your dad as Baldwin. Hell yes. <laughs> so the whole time. Wait, the good Baldwin or the butthead Baldwin? Uh, her father, but you're going to hate oh, him. That's, fair. that's fair. I don't hate my father for anyone who's listening. <laughs> it's, I love my father. He just drives me crazy. <laughs> your dynamic is, is what I picture. The boys are fighting. Oh, God. <laughs> But history loves to vilify Alice in particular, specifically because she openly challenged both gender and patriarchal norms. Much of what we'll learn of Alice is true. She is obstinate and she is reckless, but so were the men around her, whose names will go on to be celebrated in the history books for these same traits. Yeah, we all know that story. (laughs) As we know, women are creatures who endured their fate. They did not seek glory or power for themselves. That was something strictly reserved for men. But as we'll find out in our story, someone forgot to tell that to Alice. <laughs> Alice was like, no, didn't get the memo. Sorry. <laughs> so yeah. my my two kittens are being buttheads. So if you hear them yelling at each other, I think don't everybody listening to this podcast is used to cat cries. This is true. So. <laughs> They're fighting though. So that's fun. <laughs> A little bit of historical context for our time period, which you've heard already yeah, you from the last this, few episodes. But, <laughs> okay. So in 1111, Henry V of Germany, this is Empress Matilda's husband. He is crowned the Holy Roman Emperor. In 1113, King Suryavarma, I'm going to skip that. How the fuck? Let me, let me do <laughs> no, 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 no. You put it in there. You have to, you have to bolt Suryavarman. Cambodia. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I butchered that. <laughs> King Suryavarman, the second of Cambodia, begins construction of Angkor Wat, which is dubbed the eighth wonder of the world and remains the largest temple structure to this day. Oh, that's cool. Isn't that? That's if you look cool. up pictures, it's beautiful. Okay. We'll do that later. <laughs> In 1119, the Knights Templar is founded to protect Christian pilgrims in Jerusalem. In 1120, William Adelin, the heir of the English throne, dies during the White Ship Disaster. Aww. His sister, Empress Matilda, is named the heir to England in his place. And Stephen of Blois unfortunately survived. Stephen, Stephen of Blois. Stephen. <laughs> Stephen. <laughs> Stephen. In 1125, the Jurchen dynasty of the Jin dynasty declare war on the Song dynasty in China. That is a whole thing. <laughs> beginning the Jin Song Wars. In 1131, King Baldwin II of Jerusalem dies. His daughter, Melisande, ascends to the throne of Jerusalem alongside her husband as Jerusalem's first queen regnant. And her husband soon learns fear thereafter. And in 1137, Eleanor of Aquitaine marries the future King Louis VII of France. Louis's father dies mere days later, and the two become king and queen of France at like 15 and 17. That's not weird at all. (laughs) Like that's fine. They're totally old enough to run a, run a thing. Did I did I hear right that your first date was eleven eleven for Henry V? Yes. That's, aren't those like angel numbers those, or special numbers? Those but... are angel numbers. There you go. Yeah. Well. Yeah. There we are. <laughs> I think that's when she's born. Oh, almost born. Or so, like she's a year. Anyway. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Princess Alice of Antioch was born sometime in the year of eleven ten as Alice of Edessa. 
Her parents were Baldwin, the Count of Edessa, and Morphia, a princess out of Armenia. Oh, wait. So she wasn't... Oh, wait. Yeah. No, never mind. Ignore me. <laughs> Ignore me. You, you've heard their story before. Yep, yep. <laughs> I'm going to rehash it a little bit yeah, yeah. here. So this might be a repeat if you've listened to the Melisande episodes, which you better have. You better have. <laughs> So Alice was the second daughter born to Baldwin and Morphia, coming approximately five or six years after her older and more famous sister, Melisande of Jerusalem. Alice's father had been a first crusader stock, a man born in France as a second son, unlikely to inherit anything. Whatever, (laughs) Whatever legacy he wished for himself would have to be made by his own sword hand. Fortunately for Baldwin... Swing, swing, swing! Fortunately for Baldwin, a new craze was taking over the whole of Europe thanks to a certain speech made by a certain pope that urged the Christian world to rally together to rid the Holy Land of infidels. (laughs) Now, we go over the origins of the First Crusade in detail in Queen Melisande Part 1, so we'll give you just the cliff notes here. The Roman Catholic Christian world was in the middle of a schism, with Christians fighting amongst themselves in Europe. When are Christians not fighting amongst themselves? <laughs> oh, when they need something. Never mind. <laughs> Pope Urban II needed an excuse to distract the people from the schism within his own church, and thus spread a tale of a violent, blasphemous Muslim regime in the Holy Land that was murdering innocents and needing to be purged. Yeah, yeah, because Christianity was not doing that. You're fine. Now it worked, and men all over Europe decided now was the time to carve out a piece of glory for themselves in the Holy Land and maybe even earn a little favor from God. Alice's father, Baldwin, was one of those men who marched in the First Crusade and helped to carve out a new kingdom along the Levant that would later go on to be known as the Crusader States. The four Crusader States were Edessa to the north in what is modern-day eastern Turkey and western Syria, Antioch below it, Tripoli, and the crown jewel of them all, the kingdom of Jerusalem in the south. Baldwin would go on to become the second count of Edessa, inheriting it from his brother after his brother's death. To cement Frankish control in the area, Baldwin needed a bride who was a local. Morphia proved to be a solid match for the crusader prince. She was of Armenian descent, but also of Greek Orthodox Christianity. No conversions were necessary here. Morphia was the anchor the French needed to assimilate in the area. And as it turned out, Morphia and Baldwin also turned out to be a love match. The two would go on to have a strong working relationship, even after Morphia failed to deliver Baldwin that oh-so-coveted male heir. He refused to set her aside, despite being urged to do so regularly by his allies. He gave her what, like four or five awesome daughters? She gave him. That's what I meant. <laughs> yeah, she gave him four I awesome daughters. I was looking at Loki when I said that, so here we are. <laughs> One of whom he, like, exchanged in his place when he was held hostage. Yeah, yeah, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's not a problem at all. Look, Baldwin has some marks against him. <laughs> Serious marks, but just marks. Morphia would instead give him those oh-so-amazing four daughters. Hell yeah. Alice, Hodierna, and Yvette. When Baldwin's cousin... Also named Baldwin. Stop it! (laughs) Died as a king of Jerusalem with no children of his own. The throne of Jerusalem thus passed to Baldwin. And in yet another show of his devotion to his wife, Morphia and Baldwin were crowned in a joint ceremony as king and queen of Jerusalem. Alice of Edessa was now Alice of Jerusalem, second daughter to the most powerful family in the kingdom of God. Heck yeah. Oh yeah. God bless you. 
Not much is known of Alice's childhood in Edessa. We do know her father was ever the restless crusader prince, famed as much for his skill in battle as he was for his recklessness and propensity for getting captured in battle. Dude, Remember if, that? If that is a statistic <laughs> for you, maybe not. Let's not do it and call it a day. <laughs> Alice would have grown up with a frequently absent father and a formidable mother that was left to raise their children and run the county of Edessa and the kingdom of Jerusalem frequently in his absence. Well, thank God she was formidable. <laughs> In one of the stories where Baldwin was captured, Morphia was said to have organized a clever and daring rescue mission for him. She famously rejected help from the Franks for her husband. Um, she's like, no, your help comes with strengths. <laughs> well, on top of that, she's like, I just, I don't trust you to do what needs to be done. Yeah, I feel like my husband's not going to get out of this alive, so. <laughs> and she turned instead to her Armenian countrymen whose skills, of sub whose skills of subterfuge and infiltration would be handier in the daring rescue mission to come. Hell yeah. So in this story, Morphia chose 100 Armenians disguised um, as monks to infiltrate the Turkish stronghold that held her husband, armed with only the daggers and swords that they could hide in the folds of their robes. Yes. Hey, those robes get aggressive. So you could probably hide a lot of swords in there. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. In the story, these faux monks turned up at the gates of the stronghold, claiming to have been mistreated while on their journey and begged an audience with the governor to complain of their experience. Loki, her Loki's like, that's a great idea. <laughs> The story was so moving that the guards opened the gates of the city, only to be surprised by the warrior monks who killed every Turkish man in sight. Well, this is a surprise. Morphia's agents managed to make it all the way to Baldwin and actually freed him and his fellow prisoners, but were not fortunate enough to escape the city in time before reinforcements could show up and Baldwin was recaptured. You're just like, where were you? Outside? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Morphia would continue to be important in the negotiations to help free her husband. This is the example of female leadership Alice would have growing up. Men were constantly at war during the Crusader era, and so it fell to their wives to run their kingdoms and sometimes make the hard decisions that come up during warfare. And as it so happened, Baldwin had big plans for all his daughters. While Melisande was being groomed to take over in Jerusalem after he passed, Baldwin looked to find his other daughters suitable marriage partners. Gee whiz, she gets a kingdom and I get a husband? Great. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Gee whiz, Dad. As the king of Jerusalem, it now fell to Baldwin to unofficially exert his power over the other three crusader states. And by now, it was well known that when one has an overabundance of daughters, the best thing you can possibly do is barter, I mean, marry them off to neighboring kingdoms to help secure your own power. What a great stable you have. <laughs> Let me see your cattle. I mean, daughters. Listen, okay, listen. Alice gets lucky, okay? She gets to be the first one married off, even before her older and more famous sister, Melisande. I feel like it doesn't work out for her, because I know this story, because you already told it to me. Or bits and pieces, anyway. Now, lucky for Alice, there was a neighboring crusader state with a missing prince that was on his way to claim his principality and in need of a bride. Alice is like, we need to redefine lucky because I don't think we're on the same page as to what it means. <laughs> his name was Bohemond, the prince of Toronto. And the principality in question was the crusader state of Antioch. Ready to hear about Antioch? Mm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Antioch was a city that was already 1,000 years old at this point, raised up during the Hellenistic period that followed Alexander the Great's death. 
It's located in present-day southern Turkey, with the Mediterranean Sea forming its western coastline. By this point in our story, the city itself sits atop a huge hilltop and was surrounded by very thick walls, courtesy of the Romans. Yes. The city was thought to be nearly impregnable thanks to those walls. The only thing remaining of them to this day is the Iron Gate. We'll have a picture of it. Oh, cool. And this is a section of wall that forms a bridge across the Orontes River that would have blocked the pathway of one of the only passes available into Antioch through the Nur Mountains. Is it a drawbridge? So <laughs> so do you remember in Game of Thrones, the Eerie? Yes. Do you remember how you had to pass through the bloody gate in order oh, to even reach yeah, it? Oh, yeah, through like the valley. Yes, yeah. that's kind of how this is. Oh, so so it's when, not a bridge bridge. It's not a bridge bridge, but when I show you the iron gate, you'll see oh, yeah. like literally you cannot go around. So oh, yeah. it's very well protected. Cool. The city's position along the Orontes River meant that it was a thriving and rich metropolitan city that would have served as a sanctuary away from the rest of the war-torn region where one could go to forget that a war was even going on. By drinking the awesome wine that is there. Yes, but don't <laughs> drink the water because there are dead don't bodies in it. <laughs> drink the water. Dead bodies everywhere. <laughs> Antioch had also become the second crusader state and at the time would have probably been the second most powerful of the four after the kingdom of Jerusalem. Oh, okay. So they got like they got some stuff. They, they got, got some they, they got some good stuff. Yeah, so yeah. they got some muscles to show off. <laughs> here's where um, Alice's husband to be enters the picture. So the heir to the principality of Antioch was a young 18-year-old boy named Bohemond. Thanks to our old friend, William of Tyr, we have a description of him. Oh, another one of William's lovers. Are you ready for yes, this? Yes, I'm so ready okay. for him to tell me about Bohemond's excessive beauty. <laughs> <laughs> he had blonde hair and well-made features. His whole bearing plainly showed the prince even to those who did not know him. His conversation was agreeable and easily won the favor of those who listened to him. He was generous of nature and, like his father, truly magnificent. Wow, okay. Oh, that's aggressive. I'm sure his conversations were probably the dullest conversations in the world. And every woman who had to endure them yes. was just like, I can't roll my eyes into the back of my head hard enough. This is where disassociation <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. first came to Yeah, be. Alice is just like sitting there like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And like staring off into the middle distance <laughs> like, hmm, okay, this is ridiculous. <laughs> She's like, I'm blinking twice, help. <laughs> so the thing about Bohemond's father... Also hilariously named Bohemond. Mm, fucking stop. <laughs> I didn't do it. They have five names. Ah! <laughs> was that although he was among the initial crusaders to take the Levant in the name of Christianity and help create the Principality of Antioch, he proved to be a laughable failure in many of the military campaigns that followed. <laughs> he was apparently so bad at it that he had to flee to Italy where he was either exiled or in retirement, depending on who you asked. <laughs> Poor bastard. <laughs> From the time Bohemon I left Antioch and his prodigal son, Bohemon II, arrived, Antioch had changed hands among several regents before Alice's father became the regent in 1119, following an embarrassing defeat suffered by the region of the Principality at the Battle of Agir Sanguinis. Yeah. Is that like blood? Because that sounds like blood. <laughs> Sanguinis? I don't know. Sounds I'm like just blood. proud that I like got yeah, it on that was the good. first that was go. Good. That's good. <laughs> King Baldwin of Jerusalem would continue as Antioch's regent for six years while eagerly awaiting the arrival of its rightful ruler. 
Bohemond was initially delayed because he was under the care of his formidable mother, the princess of the Capetian French dynasty, that did not want him to claim his inheritance in Antioch for fear that he would be killed. Wow. Fair. Yeah, like fair. that's a fear that she's you like, should, yeah. um, it's like more comfortable here. You can just like eat cheese and drink wine. Like, yeah. why do you want to go over there? Maybe put a fan in there and we'll call it a draw. <laughs> it's only after his mother dies that Bohemond was free to journey to Antioch and finally claim his inheritance. Wow, so what okay. you really need to understand here is that everyone in Antioch is excited for this prodigal son to to come home, mm-hmm. but he has no military experience. He literally, like, just hissed because Gemma moved. Oh, I thought she did that. Nope, that was Bucky. (laughs) Say that over and over. So he literally has no military experience. (laughs) Poor guy. Nobody's ever actually met him. Oh. Um, And and Baldwin at this point, he's just kind of like... Please get here because I'm already running Jerusalem. I can't do this. Too. I can't do both. Oh my god, I know how he feels. <laughs> I'm bumping in this. So yeah, can't do your job too, homie. <laughs> now the union between Prince Bohemond and Princess Alice was mutually beneficial for both kingdoms. Bohemond brought with him 24 ships from Europe and a fresh set of horses and soldiers to replenish Baldwin's troops. Through Alice, Bohemond would have a mentor with her father and a new father figure who had decades of wisdom and experience to share with the boy with his beautiful blonde curls and no military acclaim to his name whatsoever. I thought you were going to say that, like, <laughs> Alice was getting a father figure. I'm like, in her husband? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I got there. I, I figured it out. <laughs> Alice is basically the uniting force between the unbloodied Bohemond and Jerusalem. That sounds like a terrible job. <laughs> Now, we can assume she was both anxious and excited in equal measures to meet her future husband. Lucky for Alice, he was both beautiful and close to her in age, which was a rarity. That is, yeah, you just hit, you've just struck gold, my friend. <laughs> so when Bohemond's ship finally arrives in Antioch, he was greeted to all the fanfare you would expect for a prodigal son arriving to claim an empty kingdom. Crowds had gathered in the streets and a huge procession of nobility awaited him as well, with Baldwin and his beautiful daughter Alice standing at the head of it. Although it's likely that the marriage negotiations between Alice and Bohemond were hammered out long before Bohemond even set sail for Antioch, we're told that Baldwin made a huge show of formally offering his daughter's hand in marriage before the whole of the city. He just presents her hand. He's like, it's yours. And she's like, that's mine, actually. I can own you, that. It's can attached. you reattach that to my wrist, please? It goes here. <laughs> Bohemond accepted, of course. And we're told that he was incredibly pleased with meeting Alice. And he, he was so pleased with her, he insisted on marrying her right then and there. That sounds problematic. For, I don't know. It's just... Mm-mm. Alice is like, let's drag this. Out, it's though. it's all it's all a ceremony. Yeah, this is yeah. all just it's pageantry. All it was already understood that they would get married the moment he like made it to Antioch. Yeah. So, what what do we know? What Alice's temperament was before this? No. Okay. She's a woman. They don't. I tell just, us I that. know. I just like imagine her like being a rebel and just like being a brat the whole time. <laughs> I, for me, my head is. She saw her sister being groomed to rule, so 
probably had middle child syndrome. Yeah. Now is my chance to like finally like do my own thing. Yeah, but I feel like she would have been mad if she like I just can you imagine like if she is like this rebel and this like stubborn obstinate person being married to someone who has zero battle tests. Yeah. And like nothing really to his name. And it's like, oh, this is gonna be so much fun to watch. Well she's not I, a rebel right now. I know. But like She'll I just become... want her to be obstinate and yeah. stubborn right now. Because, I mean, you, that doesn't just, like, suddenly come upon you. <laughs> I picture her as just being, like, really ambitious, really excited to, like, finally be so on she's her optimistic own. about it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I mean, that's the impression we get, but it is men yeah. writing this story. We're always excited so. to marry some Yes, yeah, so we're, we're always so yeah. excited. So pleased. To marry the beautiful boy with golden Now pearls. we finally have <laughs> a purpose in life. During the reception, Bohemon was crowned as Bohemon II and took a seat on his throne. Princess Alice of Jerusalem thus became the princess consort of Antioch at the age of 16. Ooh, <laughs> she's an old hag right now. <laughs> We're told initially that the match between Alice and Bohemond was a good one, though that is perhaps because the two managed to produce a child within the first year of their marriage. Yeah, I don't think that has anything to do with um, whether it's a good marriage or not. <laughs> Listen, medieval chroniclers have very low standards for what yeah, makes they're a like, good They're like, they're in love. They had a child. And everyone's like, what? The child was a girl named Constance after Bohemond's mother. Prince Bohemond appeared to have been bit by the same bug that so many young rulers his age would later be bit by. Oh, no. One that craved glory and legacy. Dude, you were doing great until this point. <laughs> was he? He's no, just pretty. I know. He just existed. But like, that's fine. <laughs> Despite never having actually participated in a military campaign himself, Bohemond was likely influenced by the stories of his crusader father and the sermons spreading across Europe that promised everlasting life and glory for those who could rid the Holy Land of men who did not adhere to the Christian faith. Why do I feel like this non-battle-tested homie is going to jump into like the worst battle ever and embarrass himself? I have no idea why what? you would come to that conclusion. How dare you? <laughs> He's going to start small with baby steps. You need to stop with your powers Sorry. of deduction, ma'am. I just, it's... <laughs> Many of the qualities that should have made Bohemond and Alice the perfect match for one another would later become the things that spurred division in their marriage. Okay. Both had been well-educated, witty, and skillful in conversation. But Alice committed the cardinal sin of also being ambitious. And although she would have likely been viewed as his equal in every way, Bohemond failed to see that for himself. Yeah. <laughs> Not only was Bohemond intent on killing Muslim men to further the legacy that men like his father had started in the First Crusade, but he also extended his war frenzy to anyone that looked different from him. Oh, good. This included Armenian Christians who would have been kinsmen to Alice through her mother's Armenian heritage. Glad to see you have brains between your... Wait, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing to keep in mind is Alice is half Armenian. Yeah. Or like, a yeah, half. Yeah. Like, she, I can't math. <laughs> she is partially Armenian. <laughs> so maybe don't piss off her people. Bohemon also appeared to have no intention of sharing any power with his wife, because during the years of his reign, we see little evidence of her participating in any government councils, and only one charter survives to this day with her signature on it. Yeah, and this is before uh, Melisande gave the death stare to her husband and was like, <laughs> try it. <laughs> yes. During their marriage, Alice was relegated to the role of ornamental consort that she would have likely despised and made to sit off to the side while keeping her mouth shut. Ugh. 
Fortunately for Alice, she didn't have to put up with Bohemond for very long. Oh, no. <laughs> proving to be just as reckless and unlucky as his father before him, Bohemond turned his attention to the Armenian ruler, Levon, known as the Lord of the Mountain and King of Cilicia. That sounds like a great guy to go up against with your first <laughs> battle. Sounds great. Sounds like a not gonna, it's like a foolproof, not gonna fail plan. <laughs> <laughs> What could go wrong, Rachel? Bohemond was determined to win back some of the land that had been lost um, during his father's reign. Uh, the land that had been, like, under Antioch. Yeah. And he grossly underestimated the enemy force he was facing. What? You mean a green a green boy <laughs> going into battle for the first time didn't understand that he can't bite off more than he could chew? So he heads into the battle with no allies whatsoever and only the household guard, foot soldiers, and cavalry of his own Are you household. Are kidding me? <laughs> Dude, you're really bad at this. Once Levon learned of Bohemond's intentions, he allied himself. Did he giggle? He did. He giggled <laughs> and then he allied himself with a neighboring Muslim faction and they slaughtered the whole of Bohemond's army. I can just imagine the one guy sitting... On in his castle, like on his balcony, and he's like enjoying his morning tea, and then he looks out, and there's just like five people coming out of his castle, and he's like, "What the <laughs> fuck is going on?" And then like the guy announces that he's here to take over, and he's just like, "Isn't that?" I feel like that's Please a hold. Monty Python yeah, skit no, where no, it's no, like, yeah. "I've come to to take your castle," yeah, yeah, yeah. and they're like, "You and what men?" Yeah, it's like the the Black Knight where he's got like no limbs, and they're like, "Give up, bro!" And he's like, "Nah." Yeah, this is clearly like, you know, because he's Christian, he thinks he's superior in every way. And he's forgetting that, like, A, he is a stranger in this land. Yeah. And he's going up against, like, battle-hardened men. Yeah, and you have no battle experience, this homeboy. Um, so the funny... Daisy totally disagrees with everything that's happening. She's locked in the room. <laughs> <laughs> She's woken up, so now everyone must know. So the funny but also not so funny part of all of this is... Bohemond is not recognized oh, during the no. fight. So had he been recognized among his cavalry, it's likely that he would have been captured and ransomed for a large sum of money. But because nobody recognized him, he was slaughtered along with the rest of the army. I mean, in hindsight, that might be a luckier option. Yes. Because just never fun being captured. Like, they... <laughs> Yeah, no, he gets to die right away. Yeah. Um, they do finally realize who they killed after the They're fact. Like, God damn it! <laughs> so they they go back to where all the bodies are, and they find his body. No, I don't. I'm immediately not gonna like this. And they chopped off the beautiful head with the golden curls. I guess they kept dipped it, it in tar no. so it would preserve, and sent it to the caliph that in is Baghdad. So likely, when um, you remember. Raymond, who we'll talk about in this yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah, Remember when his head's cut off yeah. and set? So, like, there's all of these heads. Wasn't great. The Khalif. Like, do, does he have, like, a room? Like, what a lovely Probably, room of death you I, have. Like, I, what is this? <laughs> I just picture it as the throne room, and instead of, like, pillars, it's just, like, a line of heads. That's atrocious. Yeah. People out there. But just like that, the promising life of Bohemond II of Antioch was snuffed out due to his own hubris. I'm not sure it was ever promising. He had ruled Antioch for four short years and was only 21 when he died. Okay, that's kind of upsetting. <laughs> well, like, but also, like, don't make poor battle moves. Like, if, ask the battle-hardened stepdad if, if or father-in-law, whatever it is. If the Crusades have taught us anything so far, it's that the men who die brutally in battle most of the time are men who 
don't do any kind of research. Yeah. They don't listen to any of the seasoned voices that are around them. There's they no don't... strategy. There's just yeah. look at me and my feathers as I ride into battle <laughs> for great glory. <sighs> Bullshit. <laughs> now, Bohemond's recklessness heralded his demise, but it presented a unique opportunity for his young and now widowed wife. Alice and Bohemond only had the one daughter together. Constance was only three years old and now the heir to the second most powerful of the Crusader kingdoms. Good Lord. Unlike her sister Melisande, who had been groomed to take over the kingdom of Jerusalem as a teenager and installed with a unique sense of entitlement to power denied to most women of this era, Alice had no such hope before this point. The best she might hope for is to one day birth a son, exert some kind of influence over him, and maybe, if she was lucky, have developed enough of a maternal relationship to be kept around after her husband's death to wield influence as a queen mother during her son's reign. Sounds like great prospects. <laughs> <laughs> but Bohemond's death presented a unique opportunity for her. She now found herself in the position to assume the role of regent and finally attain the autonomy she desperately craved. This was now her time to shine. Alice is 20 years old right now. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Isn't that? Yeah. <laughs> Enter Raymond. Not yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're not there yet. <laughs> Alice had little time to mourn her disappointing husband. I don't think she was mourning him, honestly. <laughs> but you mean publicly. <laughs> exactly. We're told that she mourned him for maybe one day before she immediately She's like, jumped Whoa, it's me. Okay, let's go, guys. We're, we're, we got shit to do. <laughs> so the death of Prince Bohemond II left a huge power vacuum that several people were already scrambling to fill. Whoever got control over baby Constance would have control over Antioch. That's so disgusting if you like yeah. actually think about that sentence. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I wrote it. <laughs> On top of that, there was a very interesting stipulation that had been written into the contract signed between Bohemond and Baldwin II of Jerusalem when Bohemond came to claim his seat and marry Alice. Is it in very fine print? Yes. <laughs> it was the asterisk that like most people don't read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So upon Bohemond's death, Alice would inherit some wealthy land. Yay! Yay! Oh no, I don't like this. <laughs> you've, you've done yay way too soon. <laughs> so as a dowager princess, she was now given control over the revenues of Lat <laughs> Latakia and Jabala. Are you growling at me? <laughs> she knows where this story is going. She knows what's going. happening. <laughs> She's going like, don't continue. Don't do it, Alice. But there was one little hitch to this inheritance. I know, that's how I feel, Gemma. There's always a hitch. Alice would be expected to give over her dower lands to her new husband should the Sugerian lord over Antioch demand it of her. Oh, Ugh. and by the way, she was required to remarry. Of course she was. She's like, yeah, I do the uh, Queen Elizabeth thing and just drag you. So guess I know who, Queen Elizabeth does not exist. <laughs> guess who the overlord of Antioch is? It's her father. Just kidding. <laughs> it's her father. It's King oh. Baldwin II. She's like, Dad, don't do it. <laughs> so according to this contract, Alice would be given a choice between three suitors to choose as her new husband. But she would have no choice in who those three suitors might be. I mean, our, none of us are surprised. <laughs> At no point did the consideration for who might make a good partner for Alice ever enter the equation. The contract strictly had the rulership of Antioch in mind. Yeah, as it always does. 
So Alice knows what's in the contract, um, and she knows she's expected to remarry almost immediately. But Alice was having none of that. Oh, okay, okay. (laughs) So a little background on the politics of Outremer, aka the Crusader States, before we continue. Of the four Crusader states, Jerusalem was considered the feudal overlord of Tripoli, Antioch, and Edessa. These three Crusader states were independent internally, but were still considered subservient to Jerusalem in theory. The reality is that the overlordship relationship between Jerusalem and the other three Crusader states hinged more on the strength of character of the king or queen of Jerusalem and the individual ruler of the other three Crusader states. Yeah, those those type of arrangements are always temperamental at best. (laughs) Alice's father would have presented Alice with the option of three suitors who all likely would have been loyal to him and thus subservient to him in the long run. What Baldwin II did not account for was the fact that Alice might wish to have power for herself. Alice was not obligated to submit to her father. If she managed to snatch up the principality of Antioch for herself, she could assert that Antioch was an independent nation as it had been during its initial conception. That's the thing we need to keep in mind. When the Crusader states were first formed, um, I believe Antioch is actually the first state form. Okay. And it was very much like, we're not bowing to anyone. Yeah, we're we're not joining your club. Like, it was just <laughs> later kings of Jerusalem were more powerful, so they were able to assert control. Yeah. You can say it, dominance. <laughs> but but Antioch, that's just that's their history. They are yeah. very independently minded. Yeah. So it's really not too out of the ordinary for a new prince to rise and suddenly decide that he was going to reject the overlordship of Jerusalem. This has happened in the past. Yeah. What made this situation particularly scandalous was the fact that it was not just a woman, but that it was a daughter defying her father. (laughs) Women simply did not do this. Blasphemy. (laughs) It completely upset the patriarchal fabric that had stitched together the feudal system of the medieval period. This is what Alice is doing. She is challenging the very fabric of the patriarchy. You You can't do that, (laughs) ma'am. She was doing this before it was cool look middle children go big (laughs) and don't go home like we refuse to go home like we're just gonna destroy everything (laughs) now we mentioned in melisande's episode that william of tear loved melisande and despised alice now we know why not only was she a wicked woman but she was a bad daughter are you ready or she just wanted shit that was her own are you ready Uh, no (laughs) (laughs) what does william have to say now As soon as she learned of her husband's death, and in fact, before she was aware of her father's intention to come to Antioch, an evil spirit led her to conceive a wicked plan. Oh my god. Whether she remained a widow or remarried, Alice determined to disinherit her daughter and keep the principality for herself in perpetuity. I don't think that's disinheriting her daughter when her (laughs) daughter's three and cannot rule. Like, she can take it until her daughter comes of age and then maybe give it to her. Who knows? Well, here's the other thing. Um, Constance would have been expected to marry right away. Constance will never be allowed to rule on her own either. It's always going to yeah. be whoever she's married to. Look, the men folk that is cannot let anyone know that women are better <laughs> at it than they are. <laughs> William of Tyr speaks to the audacity of Alice, but in the book Queens of Jerusalem, The Woman Who Dared to Rule, 
Catherine Penjonis observes that Alice must have had a significant amount of support within the principality of Antioch itself to take control of it as quickly as she did. She would have had to secure the support of the leading nobles of the city as well as the general population. Yeah, so weird. She was well loved. (laughs) (laughs) If Alice moved without the support of Antioch, she likely would have encountered rioting in the streets, and we know this never happened. Yeah. As mentioned, Alice was savvy enough to know her father, how her father worked, and she moved quickly. When Baldwin received news of Bohemond's death, he immediately moved to gather his troops together, and along with his son-in-law, the future King Folk, Melisande's <laughs> husband, <laughs> yeah, Ugh. <laughs> they both marched together to Antioch, fully expecting to encounter chaos within the city. <laughs> and Alice is like, I do it better. You're welcome. <laughs> so basically, um, Baldwin and Folk, they're expecting... They're expecting to ride in like the white knights they think they are. Yeah, they're expecting because this death happened so early um, and women can't like do anything, yeah, right? Yeah. They're expecting they're, the power vacuum. They're expecting, exactly, the power vacuum and like nobles to try and rise up and like maybe even physically take Alice and Constance. And Alice has <laughs> some parts of her sister's death stare where she's like, no. She uses a finger. She's like, immediately no. Immediately no. no. Straight to jail. Straight to (laughs) jail. What they didn't expect was for Alice to already have the principality firmly in hand. Baldwin's like, oh, (laughs) fuck. So we're kind of told that Alice, she plays her hand a little too quickly. Okay. She moves to secure Antioch for herself with the consent of its people, but she doesn't have any standing army to defend it. Yeah, that's problematic. Because again, the majority of Antioch's army had died alongside Bohemond in Armenia. (sighs) She's like, I can't even escape him in (laughs) death. Like, this is ridiculous. Oops. Oops, he's (laughs) poopsy. If it isn't the consequence of my own actions. (laughs) So at this point, Alice panics. And she does what any good intention but slightly misguided, oh, no. hot-headed leader does. She reaches out to the enemy. Don't, Alice! <laughs> Guess who she reaches out to? I don't want to know. She reaches out to Adebeg Zengi. Oh my god, stop. <laughs> yes. No! <laughs> you this were is- like, you were like fine just being like, I want what is mine. But now you're like, I want what is mine and I'm going to go Can- to your greatest nemesis ever to get it this okay and there's no way that he is gonna double cross me <laughs> if it happens so, there's no way <laughs> i'm gonna give you a spoiler alert for the next episode oh no a lot of people reach out to zengi and are like hey can you help are you with me put forward thank you <laughs> but yeah oh my god <laughs> zengi's like i am not i am not a 24-hour hotline like you can't just reach but out but i do want your city i'm gonna take it but like Oh, you guys are so needy. <laughs> so for those who don't know. <laughs> Aren't you my enemy? <laughs> Adebeg Zengi was essentially the boogeyman of the Outrimmer at this point. Um, we talked about him a little bit in Melisande's episode. Zengi was an incredibly formidable Islamic leader that managed to unite several tribes under his banner and create an organized Muslim army that had not been seen since before the First Crusade. He's one of those figures in history that is both revered and reviled because of how ruthless he was with both friend and foe. Yeah, sounds like a great guy to team up with. Zangi will go on to be the reason Edessa falls later down the road and become the inspiration for the launch of the Second Crusade. We talk about it in Eleanor of Aquitaine. Yeah. But in our current story, his army is the only force in the neighboring area that has any chance of standing against the King of Jerusalem's forces. 
To secure her own position in Antioch, Alice promised to pay homage to Zangi as her overlord in exchange for helping her repel her father's army. That never ends well. So from an outsider's perspective within the Crusader states, this is a Christian leader agreeing to cede Christian territory to a Muslim leader for her own personal gain. Rachel, stop overstretching and overstating. <laughs> she's not a Christian leader because they don't accept her because she's a woman. That's fair. <laughs> she is a witch basically and she like, must be burned. She's doing this for selfish reasons, yeah. which, I mean, so do the men. So. Yeah, yeah, the men folk <laughs> do it all the time. <laughs> Alice was hoping that by allying herself with Zengi, he would recognize her authority in Antioch and allow her to rule independently. But what Alice failed to realize, um, she doesn't have the benefit of historical hindsight, yeah. was that Islamic custom was even more rigid when it came to female leadership. Yeah. But desperate times call for desperate measures. If there was one thing Alice could count on, it was that Zengi would jump at the opportunity to get a one-up on her father. Alice arranged for a special gift to be delivered to Zengi, along with her offer. She obtained a white horse adorned with silver shoes, brittle, and saddle to be gifted to Zengi. Um, Western horses were especially prized yeah. by the Islamic faction, so it, it was a pretty sweet gift. So she sends out this messenger um, and the horse, but they end up getting intercepted by King Baldwin's forces. You stop it. Baldwin's like, that's a nice horse. Where's it going? Um, um, <laughs> nowhere special. Baldwin ends up torturing the messenger. Cut the fuck on. <laughs> and this is when he reveals Alice's plans and then is unceremoniously killed. That's why you never sign up for the job as messenger. Like you're like, do you want me to sit? No. Immediate. No, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. <laughs> I value my life. I choose life. <laughs> Sadly, we we don't know what happened to the horse. Oh, I know. He lived a very happy, long life and got <laughs> married to his horse wife and, and had many children. Yes. Horse children. Yes. Horse that children. is so, it has been written, yeah. so it is done. Yeah. <laughs> and by the first unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> but by now, Baldwin officially knows his daughter's plans. That's not great. Nope. Baldwin's like, the fuck, girl? <laughs> When Baldwin reached the gates of Antioch, he found them closed. <laughs> He's like, um, daughter. And she's like, no, it's home. Come back later. <laughs> the king of Jerusalem's 20-year-old daughter told her father that the only way she would allow him into her city was if he promised independence for Antioch and sanctioned her rule of the principality. You can't do that when he's got people behind him <laughs> with weapons. We're told that Baldwin was absolutely outraged by his daughter's public defiance no shit <laughs> not only was she an insubordinate rebelling against the king of jerusalem but she was also just a girl i feel like he <laughs> had the white he was like riding the white horse yeah oh the, my God. the very horse yes. that she sent yeah and he was like come again and she's like fuck me <laughs> like <laughs> that's totally how it is in my head canon now and you know to have her publicly deny him it's it's also very emasculating and embarrassing yeah i mean uh, <laughs> yeah unfortunately for alice once the people of antioch saw the whole of the power of jerusalem outside their gates a couple of them got scared they're like so i know that like we love you and you're great but um not sure if you're seeing this it's a little bit scary for us like yeah. i might have peed just well, now <laughs> Well, and it was a Frankish knight who decided oh. to open the gates. So, you know, he peed himself. Yeah, he definitely peed. He's like, oh, we. <laughs> <laughs> we. <laughs> Sorry. 
sorry if you're French. Jinx so you sorry. Sorry. <laughs> 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 Oh, man. What is wrong with <laughs> I just made a cartoon character. I'm sorry. And <laughs> see. And see. As the army made its way through the city of Antioch. Did you just say Z army? <laughs> oh, no. I love it. You're not redoing that. That's amazing. <laughs> Alice retreated to the citadel with her daughter and barricaded herself inside. But it wasn't long before she realized the futility of her actions and surrendered to her father. Oh, that's fair. She's like, mm, might as well just come out now and maybe the punishment will be less awful. So we're told that she puts on a really good show. Um, when she leaves the Citadel, she literally throws herself to her knees before her father, yeah. weeping and begging his forgiveness. She's probably like grabbing his surcoat yeah. too. She's like, yeah. I'm just your 20 year old daughter. I'm father. just a little child. It's what I do. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> She's like, you heard what? That I you couldn't come in? I said you could come in. You just had to get the door open yourself. <laughs> so once Alice was sufficiently repentant, Baldwin, yeah. he relents and he's like, fine. <laughs> yeah, once she was officially cowed. So Alice gets off easy and she's saved from any kind of humiliating punishment or imprisonment. But Baldwin likely understood that his daughter could not be trusted in Antioch now. And so he banished her from the city and separated her from her daughter. Wow, that's rude. Fortunately for Alice, she still had her dower lands of Jabala and Latakia. And so this is where she retreats to. Back in Antioch, Baldwin installed his friend and trusted ally, Jocelyn of Courtney, the Lord of Edessa, as baby Constance's regent. That just never goes well when you say they installed their trusted anything. Like, they're trusted until they're not. And when you give them power, it's usually when they're not trusted. Or... (laughs) It's likely that the Armenian population of Antioch would have been content to have Alice as their princess. We're told that it was the Frankish population that held the bulk of the leadership positions in the city, though, and they were the ones who were more reluctant to accept her. They followed the patriarchal customs a little more closely and would have had a harder time accepting a woman's rule over the king of Jerusalem's rule. Yeah. (laughs) Now, William of Tyre paints Alice in a particularly scathing light, going so far as to suggest that she intended to full-on disinherit her daughter from an from her inheritance and rule Antioch in perpetuity for the duration of her life. Well, yeah, because we writers like to be as dramatic as possible. (laughs) Worse yet, Alice had the audacity of wishing to choose her own husband. The fucking audacity. (laughs) You ready for Mm -hmm. some more William of Tear? Am I? No. Are you going to give it to me anyway? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Just like he would. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) She was intriguing to wrong the principality. Her plan was to disinherit the daughter whom she had borne to her husband and thus secure herself the principality. She intended to marry again according to her own pleasure. He so, actually wrote this wow, as like a historical chronicle. No, that's that's called yeah. a diary, bro. But, so is this stuff that is being written and being released like in real time or is this stuff that was written after the fact? It's probably written a little after. Because but... I just imagine it like... This is probably, like, the gossip magazine of the time. And, like, can you imagine Alice just being like, the fuck is wrong with you, bro? Like, that's not at all. You forgot to say that she was menacing and terrifying yeah. and, like, and dared bit, to bit the heads off for her of her shit. lovers while she was in bed with them. Yeah. When did this become a praying mantis thing? <laughs> just now. I love it. 
got really aggressive really fast. But really, truly, God forbid a woman choose her own husband. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay? God you just, forbid. You don't do that. Look, look she's like, look, I did the you get to choose my husband, and it did not turn out great. I gave him a child. You're welcome. It's my turn to shine. <laughs> Following the defeat by her father, Alice retreated. Was it a defeat, or was it just like, it it's happened? A, it's a defeat. <sighs> She retreats to Latikia with her tail between her legs, and it is likely that the men of the era thought she would disappear into relative obscurity from here. I'm sure her tail wasn't between her legs. I'm sure her hackles were up, and she was growling the whole <laughs> fucking time. Like, <laughs> Unfortunately for them, and fortunately for us, they couldn't have been more wrong. Hell yeah. Following her exile to Latikia, a series of events occurred that put Alice in a position to strike up a second rebellion. First off, her father died almost immediately upon returning to Jerusalem. That kind of sucks for them. <laughs> We're told decades of fighting wars with neighboring Muslim tribes and the trek to Antioch just simply exhausted Baldwin II, and he finally died of old age. But Baldwin was an interesting father. He gave with one hand and took with the other. Months after thwarting Alice's efforts to claim Antioch for herself, he had a will drafted on his deathbed to ensure the kingdom of Jerusalem passed equally to his eldest daughter, Melisande, and her husband, Folk of Anjou. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how pissed off you would be? Yes. I've had this happen in my life. We're like, you tried to take something for yourself and your dad was like, nah, you can't have it. And then made you cow before him. And then all of a sudden, like, your sister's getting the same fucking thing. Do you understand like, why what? I picture you and your dad? Yeah, as I know, right? I'm just like, fucking hell. <laughs> she pulls a Raymond and just, like, throws everything off a table. <laughs> and like, Fuck me. But please. But please. Me. Anyone. <laughs> Alice never made it back to Jerusalem before her father died, and the chroniclers never recorded her reaction to his death. I just did. Table. <laughs> We can only speculate over the possible grief and regret she might have felt that her last interaction with him was a fight over the Principality of Antioch. Yeah, but I feel like her dad was like, you already forgave her. Yeah. It's like a dad thing where they're just like, I'm real mad. Yeah, but it's like And I'm real treatment. disappointed. So then you're immediately like, I am broken. My heart's broken. Oh, <laughs> God damn it. Like, shit. And then, but then they're like secretly forgave you. They just give you the cold shoulder for a minute. <laughs> but Alice, <Dead. laughs> Alice knew all too well what a prime opportune moment this was. Anytime there was a change in power, Outremer was always a little vulnerable. While Jerusalem was busy setting itself to sorts and the new regime moved in to secure its power base, Alice was free to move and try to reassert Antioch's independence once more. Um, She's <clears> like, <throat> hey guys. <laughs> it's me again. Hi. Hi. <laughs> So again, just a reminder about Antioch. Antioch has a history of resisting the overlordship of the kings of Jerusalem. For starters, Alice's father-in-law, who she never met, Bohemond of Toronto, captured Antioch long before the rest of the crusaders had claimed the kingdom of Jerusalem. He was already well-established when the rest of the first crusaders dug their heels in and claimed their own territories. And he didn't recognize any other authority above his own. It was not until Alice's husband had turned up in Antioch that Antioch broke tradition with previous rulers and declared Jerusalem her overlord. As much as the chroniclers might try to villainize Alice for asserting independence for Antioch, she wasn't doing anything out of the ordinary. Yeah, it the just happened to be that she was not a man. Exactly. That's she, the only out of the ordinary thing. She just happened to have female bits instead of male bits. God. <laughs> 
Another death also occurred to help align the stars in Alice's favor, and that was the death of Jocelyn, the Count of Edessa, who had been named as Constance's regent in Alice's place. She's like, I got this, guys. It is my daughter. <laughs> it's after it's all. literally like she's like, literally, the universe is telling you that yeah. these men are BS, and it it should be yeah. me. Really. I am the chosen one. So <laughs> I am here the we chosen are. one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jocelyn's death and the power vacuum in Jerusalem created the perfect environment for a new rebellion to spring up. The new king in Jerusalem was Alice's brother-in-law, King Folk. Folk proved to be incredibly unpopular, viewed by the people of Outremer as an outsider that was doing everything he could to supplant the local nobility and power structure with people of his own from France. Yeah, he was making great moves. Great moves. <laughs> it was great for Alice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> She's like, me too, guys. Let's plan. <laughs> Folk even tried to supplant his own wife and Alice's sister, Queen Melisande. Ugh. Again, you can go listen to the Melisande episodes to find out how that turned out. <laughs> Fear of God is the word, the phrase that we will give you. <laughs> The loyalty and obedience of the people of Outrimmer to the king of Jerusalem depended entirely upon his strength of character, and Folk was severely lacking in that category. Yeah, like in everything. <laughs> and Alice, ever shrewd and ambitious herself, took advantage of Folk's shortcomings. And she took it a step further by asserting not only Antioch's independence from Jerusalem, but the other two crusader states of Tripoli and Edessa as well. And lucky for her, the two leaders of Tripoli and Edessa were equally ambitious and eager to shrug off the shackles of Jerusalem. They were Jocelyn II of Edessa and Pons of Tripoli. Pons. Pons. <laughs> so I'll tell you a little bit about both of them. Okay. So Jocelyn II of Edessa was the son of the Jocelyn that had been previously named as Constance's regent. But this younger Jocelyn was famously uh, remembered by history as unremarkable and ineffectual. <laughs> he is the one that later loses Edessa to Adebeg Zengi's forces. Ouch. For our story, he is simply the man who was jilted by King Folk of Jerusalem, who famously refused to pass the regency of baby Constance on to Jocelyn following his father's death. Fueled by this insult, he was an obvious ally for Alice. <laughs> Pons of Tripoli was a little more of a toss-up. Pons had been raised in Antioch under the tutelage of one of the previous regents who had inherited Antioch's fierce desire for independence. Um, so basically, he's already been raised to believe that the other crusader states should just rule themselves completely independently yeah, of Jerusalem. Like, we don't need Jerusalem. But his wife happened to be Cecile of France, a.k.a. King Folk's half-sister. <laughs> Folk might have been able to count on his family relation to have some influence in Tripoli, but at the end of the day, no one really liked Folk. Aww. He's just that disagreeable. <laughs> and so the Count of Tripoli happily allied with Alice as well. Most modern historians generally assume it had been a shared political interest that drew Pons of Tripoli and Jocelyn of Edessa, to Alice's cause, the chroniclers of the time ascribed the alliance to Alice's scheming. Because, you know, women can't be smart. Yeah, no, no, no. They don't do that. They can't propose, like, a smart alliance. Yeah. Clearly, they're whispering in men's ears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> William of Tyr goes as far as to say that she flat out bought their alliance with her dead husband's money by bribing them with gifts and sweet nothings. So this is where our story catches up a little bit with Melisande's. 
King Folk did not realize it, but his presence was so polarizing in Outremer that two factions were beginning to form. One faction consisted of the local barons, who resented Folk and his outsiders coming in to claim all the wealthy land and titles in the Outremer. Fair enough. The other faction consisted of those Frankish transplants that Folk brought over with him when he married Melisande. Before the rebellion could fully launch, several of Alice's Frankish nobles back in Antioch wrote to Folk to warn him that his pesky sister-in-law was at it again with the scheming and the plotting. Oh no, not the scheming and the plotting. So Folk wastes little time organizing his army and marches on Antioch from Jerusalem. There's just one problem. He has to march through Tripoli to get there, and as soon as he entered ponds of Tripoli's territory, he finds the way barred to him by soldiers. Whoops. <laughs> Maybe you should have called ahead, bro. <laughs> um, so Folk ends up having to take the long way by sea to get to Antioch. Wow. He's he he's not allowed to go on land. <laughs> <laughs> um, the leader of Tripoli is like, no, sorry. He's like, nah, so bro. <laughs> Although inconvenient and annoying, it only prolonged the inevitable, though. Antioch still does not have a standing army, and by the time Folk's army made it to the city of Antioch, the city was taken just as easily as the first time. Alice is like, God damn it! (laughs) And Alice flees once again to Latikia. Look, Alice, I think you need to (laughs) take that sign. Reassess your... Yeah, Yeah. stop doing stuff. This is a a, a cart before the horse situation like I just, if you don't have an army i love how defiant she is like she she's trying really hard she's she got is. a lot of heart yeah yeah heart does not win war though that's fair <laughs> folk decided to linger behind in antioch for a while to help stabilize the region and it wasn't long before alice was invited back we can assume that melisande interceded on her sister's behalf um kind of the same way she would do with hugh of joppa Folk clearly did not trust Alice enough to leave her alone in Antioch, and he sticks around for a long time until domestic issues call him back to Jerusalem. (laughs) Unsurprisingly, he was correct to distrust his sister-in-law, because the moment he leaves Antioch, she's she's already back at it, and she closes the gates behind him. I love it, but I can also (laughs) imagine, like, the incessant bickering between those two. Oh, God, yeah. Like, I just, it's just amazing. We're like... Alice is just sitting in a chair at the end of the table, like with her leg up on one chair and her arm on the back (laughs) of the chair with like, she's probably twirling a knife because why the fuck not? She's just like, how's it going down there? Folk. Why the fuck are you still here? This is my house. (laughs) She's like, you know, we just received another letter. Apparently there's problems in Jerusalem. Maybe you should go take care of them. She's like, folk, everyone (laughs) still hates you. (laughs) (laughs) She's got like letters from people in her city that are like, I heart Alice. And she's probably got them plastered everywhere. And then there's like pictures of folk with like a cross eye on him. And like, she throws that dagger at the pictures all the time. Yeah, I see it. Alice likely knew she could not hold out against Folk for very long if he came back, and so she reached out to the Byzantine Empire in Constantinople. (laughs) By now, Constance was of an age where she could be married off. Uh, What, four? She's like seven or eight. I guess they waited until then. And so Alice offered to betroth Constance to the Byzantine Emperor's son, Manuel. It's a little bit of history uh between the byzantine empire and antioch uh it's not great no great so like 
she doesn't have good decision making yes. skills in this respect. <laughs> yeah. So the thing about Antioch is, um, I do have a map. I'll show you at the end, and we'll have it on Facebook. Uh, the the area of Antioch is literally the southern portion of Turkey that kind of like dips down. Yeah. And the Byzantine Empire is like right above it. <laughs> so Antioch is kind of wedged between um, the Turkish Empire mm-hmm. conglomerate. And um and the Byzantine Empire, and the Byzantine oh, Empire is constantly trying to like absorb Antioch into its territory. Antioch's like no. So this was no. actually not a smart choice that Alice made. Look, Alice, we're all for you <laughs> rebelling and being awesome, but like maybe make solid decisions. Yeah. <laughs> So attempting to form an alliance with the Byzantine Empire was complicated and had several implications. On the one hand, a Byzantine-Antioch alliance might have gone a long way to help defend Christian interests against Muslim incursions, but others would have seen it as a shameless attempt made by an opportunistic mother to get her daughter out of the way so that she could rule for herself without any interference. Oh, dear. (laughs) And for the Greek Orthodox Church in Antioch, this alliance was salt in the wound to those who resented the overreach of the Byzantine Empire. Yeah, I feel like it goes against, like, everyone wants Antioch to be independent, so maybe don't side with someone who's going to want you to not be. Yeah. <laughs> she's trying to do the the enemy of... My enemy is my friend? Yeah, but it, it, she's, it's not. She's not that making never very smart choices. <laughs> yeah. Alice failed to see that her actions had alienated the patriarch in Antioch and thus lost her the support of the religious faction of her own principality. She doesn't know it, though. No, no. And little did she know a new kind of trap was being sprung for her. Uh-oh. His name was Raymond of Portier. Oh, fucking Raymond. <laughs> and those who listened to the last episode will know him as Eleanor of Aquitaine's scandalous and handsome uncle. Possibly incestual. <laughs> and possibly incestuous, yes. But that's another story out of history that would put our current soap operas and telenovas to utter shame. Go listen to the episode. Go listen! <laughs> Raymond traveled to Antioch in disguise with a singular mission to beg the hand of the beautiful and willful rebel princess of Antioch. Was it that or was it to marry a child, Rachel? Well... According to the initial story, Ew. yeah, he's he's gonna be like, Alice, he's I love like, you. Yes, he's I'm not a creeper. <laughs> I love you so much. Your daughter's looking kind of fine for a seven year old. <laughs> Raymond was a few years younger than Alice, and by all accounts, especially beautiful. More importantly for Alice, he was of an ancient and powerful lineage in France, whose marriage would bring with him the soldiers she'd need to hold her beloved city. I just, I'm so upset this is going to ruin my image of Raymond. <laughs> when Raymond turned up in Antioch, he revealed himself to the patriarch and begged an audience with Alice. Several years had passed at this point since the death of her husband, with very few suitors turning up at her door to request her hand in marriage, now that she was getting older and proving to be of a rebellious spirit freaking rebellious spinster how dare she (laughs) raymond's bid for her hand came with the promise that once they were wed they would co-rule antioch together if this seems too good to be true that's because it was i was literally gonna say like everything that seems too good to be true (laughs) is it is 
But Alice had the patriarch of Antioch whispering in her ear to admit Raymond to her city and accept the marriage alliance, not realizing that her previous attempts to marry her daughter off to the Byzantine Empire had lost her the patriarch's support. When Raymond was finally admitted to the city, he immediately snatched up the eight-year-old Constance and married her in her mother's place without her mother's knowledge. That's so gross. So this is all happening as Alice herself is making wedding preparations, likely coordinating wow. the menu and decorations for the reception that was to follow her own wedding ceremony. I bet the the people of Antioch that were against her, like, had secret negotiations with Raymond. And they're 100%. like, here's what's going to happen. And, and Folk's involved in this, too. Yeah. Folk is the one who reached out to Raymond. He set the trap. Yeah. I know. God, that's terrible. Alice had been hoodwinked, and as we just mentioned, this scheme had been her brother-in-law's idea. And just like that, Alice was officially removed from the line of succession. Raymond of Poitiers had become the Prince of Antioch thanks to his marriage to his new child bride. If you're wondering if marrying an eight-year-old child behind her mother's back was legal at the time, Mm -hmm. the answer is actually no. Oh. It's not. Interesting. The legal age of consent, consent, yeah, consensa, <laughs> um, was term. was twelve. Oh, okay, but the only person with any power to contest the match was Folk. was the king of Jerusalem, and there was no chance of that happening. He's like, it's fine. It's not weird. It's not weird at all. It's not creepy. Oh, I had arranged nothing. Not pedophilic in any way. <laughs> <sighs> Although Raymond had secured this alliance by working behind Alice's back with the Patriarch of Antioch, one of his first acts as the new ruler of Antioch was to promptly dismiss the Patriarch. Ooh, okay, so like, not mad. Turns out that Raymond did not trust a man that would help usurp power from one ruler of Antioch. No shit! And give it to another. Again, we know Raymond is strategic as fuck. He's very strategic. He's just a little shady. Yeah, a lot shady, (laughs) but like, most strategists are. Now, not every difficult damsel we cover gets a happy ending. Catherine Penjonas describes Alice as being a model of frustrated female ambition. Some women leave a trail of blazing glory in the history books, like Queen Melisande of Jerusalem and Eleanor of Aquitaine. Other women try to attain power and independence for themselves, but fail spectacularly, like Mary Queen of Scots did. And like Alice, the rebel princess of Antioch. Alice spent the next six years following the death of her husband, trying to assert her own independence and claim power in Antioch. Once Raymond took over, she fled once more to Latikia. And sadly, this is where she exits the pages of the history books. She would live another 15 years or so, but as she was no longer a scheming woman, the chroniclers of the time didn't see fit to write of her after that point. I really like that the one win she gets is that she doesn't have to marry anyone. Well, yeah, she does. As far as we know, she doesn't yeah. have to marry anyone else. Alice died in relative obscurity in 1151-ish, around Oof. the age of 40. Well, that's sad. And that's yeah. all we know. Aww. That's the end of her story. Well, I like her. She may make stupid <laughs> fun. decisions she on does. impulse, but she, does. she tried. She, and that's all that matters. Sometimes. She tried in the face of like some... Pretty yeah, like she went against her father circumstances. to try. So that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Folk. <laughs> yeah. Not every not every story we tell is gonna have like a successful happy ending, but yeah. it's still worth telling. It's the point, as not to sound cliche, but it's the uh, journey, not the destination. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's the fact that they tried. 
for that autonomy and they tried to be a name in history. I mean, they never tell us like how she dies mm-hmm. and what happens to her. So I'm just going to imagine that she like continued to style herself as the princess of Antioch and people yeah. were just kind of like, sure, Alice, whatever. Yeah, it, that's Alice. But she's comfortable. <laughs> she's like, she's eating figs. She's yeah. being fanned. She's drinking wine. Latikia is kind of on the, the coast of the Mediterranean. So she's got a beautiful view. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, so that's she what it is now. She just wasn't the queen of Antioch. <laughs> or queen, princess, whatever. Princess, yeah. whatever. <laughs> um, so my sources for today's episode, again, Queens of Jerusalem, The Women Who Dared to Rule by Catherine Penjonis, and the Wikipedia. The Wikipedias. I got some maps for you. Maps. So this is Antioch. Okay. Oh, little Antioch. <laughs> little so Antioch. But yeah, like, so the Byzantine Empire is, the, that's Constantinople. Yeah. And it's like to the left of modern day Turkey. All right. And then you've got like the various uh, Turkish like sultanates here. Yeah. <laughs> and you've got poor Antioch. Antioch's like, well, this is fun. <laughs> um, this is the Iron Gate of yes! Antioch that's blocking. Like you cannot pass that's through cool. here without like going through here. That's cool. And then um, there are no pictures of her. So I just found like a medieval crusader queen. Because yeah. we, we know that they like wore beautiful like robes as dresses and had their veils. Beautiful. And then like the crowns over their veils. I like it. So yeah. I like it. That is the story of Alice, the Hell rebel princess of yeah. Antioch. Hell oh, yeah. Sad that it ended the way it did, but <laughs> she never had to remarry. She so. never had to remarry that we know of, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. we're going to go with she never had to remarry. <laughs> it's so frustrating. There are no pictures of her. It is, ugh, makes me so mad. Oy vey. Yeah. You're her now. I just pictured you. I love it! <laughs> All right, so random question time. Hell yeah. Sorry we didn't have a random question last time, but we were done recording. <laughs> we, were, All the we, we did have a random question and did it we? got lost. Oh yeah, we did. No, we did. And it got lost, but I think it was for the best. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So our random question for this episode, and feel free to use it with your friends if you would like. Yeah. Dear listener. Dear listeners. If money wasn't a concern, where would you live? What would you do? And what would your lifestyle look like? Hell yeah. Are you going to go first? You can go first. Well, let me see if then I need to, I need to um, oh, okay. check off all the boxes. So let's see. Uh, if money wasn't a concern, where would you live? Literally any island. <laughs> Where people are <laughs> rare. <laughs> Fair. And then what would you do? Um, I would be a dolphin trainer if I had to do something. But I would also write and paint and do basically all the things I love and don't have time for in yeah. the real world. Yeah. Where, because, you know, money is an issue. <laughs> and then what would your lifestyle look like? Literally, like, island you lifestyle. You would be a hermit. <laughs> I would be a hermit and I would be like a, just like a little tropical fairy. <laughs> I'd be in the water like every goddamn day, but like there'd be a net miles out so like no sharks can come in. You're like, I love sharks, but yes. over there. You stay like, over you there stay and there. everything's fine. Yeah. You stay there. And I'll <laughs> and be I would, here. I would train my dolphins. I'd be able to just have the, the best, bestest time in the world. I'd probably have a capuchin monkey because why not? They're so cute and adorable. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would just. You would let me visit, right? Yeah, you can visit. Okay. People can visit, but like. But you can't stay. But you can't stay. <laughs> You've got like a helicopter pad, so yes. like when you are ready, you're like, you need you to go. You must leave now. My pilot, who is Francois, will take you back. Francois is <laughs> the only one who has my emergency cell phone number. Uh, Francois! But yeah, like I would Get just, rid of them! 
Get rid of him. Like the only reason I would have internet is to interact with my fans because I'm a world famous author. <laughs> but like I would be sneaky and you'd never know where I was or anything about my personal I life. I love it. Unless I wanted you to know. Yes. Yeah. I would definitely live island life. Island life just sounds great. It does. Yeah. You just wear swimsuits all day and you don't have to put pants on. Do you and... wear like um a coconut bra and know. like grass skirt? No. No. Okay. No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope. I'd wear like pretty flowy like over dover dresses that's not a thing now i'm picturing you because you said like an island fairy i'm picturing you with like um instead of like clothing made out of like leaves from the forest it's like seaweed and shells yeah 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 yeah. 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 i just make my own clothes it's fine it's fine (laughs) yeah (laughs) i would literally live off the land it sounds great it does sound great it's great but mostly the no people thing sounds great like i'd come (laughs) visit you if i needed like a you needed a people break. Yeah, or you needed I needed an interaction and some yeah. socialization because I'm still human, unfortunately. But <laughs> you're slightly feral now. <laughs> yeah, I'm slightly feral, so like you have to stop me from growling at people when they come out to me when I don't like, want to. No, cat, no, it's not okay. <laughs> that is not a shark. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that would be if money wasn't an option. That would be my life. Um. <laughs> so for me, I have famously stated many a time on this podcast that I would want to live in a beach house Hell yeah. on the beach or a castle on the beach You're or already in line with me. a Roman villa on the beach. Yeah. We would live like <laughs> my island would be here and then your island would be like across the way. I, I wouldn't be on an island. I would oh, be okay. definitely like on the mainland, but Fine, I'm on the yeah, island. <laughs> I can see your island. And everyone's like, do you know the witch on the island? And you're like, yes, I do. And she doesn't want to talk to you. <laughs> like, leave her alone or she will eat you. Yeah. <laughs> um, very similar. I would write. I would finally write all my stories. Yeah, because we um, have the time. And podcast. Yes. And, like, have the time to do it and just do a lot of reading on the beach, drink my coffee on the beach, oh, drink yeah. champagne on the beach. All the things on the beach. On the beach. <laughs> we do it all on the beach. Instead of on a boat, we're, we're on we a beach. We do it on the beach. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Actually, sand gets everywhere. That's not a good idea. But, um. <laughs> and then my lifestyle. So I would want to travel a lot. And my thing has always been, if I had a lot of money, I would share it with my loved ones. So I would literally just call you up and be like, hey, Kat, I'm going to Ireland for the week in April. Do you want to come? Hell yes. You better say yes. I've I've already booked it. (laughs) I was like, I've got somebody to look at on your cats. Yeah. Your island of cats. (laughs) Your island of cats. Um, But my island also has like a force field around it. So hurricanes are not a thing. Yeah. I, I would very much, that that's my thing. I would want to, like, just be able to take my friends randomly with me wherever in the world. Like, I'm going to Alexandria in Egypt. Would you want to yes. come? Immediately, yes. Yes, immediately, yes. I feel like yeah. any, like, our, it's just, we I would want to share my wealth and just, yeah. yeah. We want to live for us, not someone else and not society and not bills. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. That's kind of dramatic and sad, but here we are. <laughs> It is what it is. It is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Um. Any of you listening, when we post this episode, we would love to hear what you would do if money was not an option. Yeah. If you have any ideas or suggestions for future women of this podcast, you can reach us at difficult.damsels at gmail.com. We're also on the social medias of Facebook and Instagram. The Instagram. The Instagram. Uh, what's our name? Difficult Damsels, the podcast. <laughs> I'm like, that's your thing. It's been a really long <laughs> week, guys. <laughs> and as always, you can help our podcast out by rating, reviewing, and subscribing wherever you're hearing this in your ear holes. In your ear holes. 
and yeah, stay difficult. Stay difficult. Nah, nah, nah. Woo! <laughs>